second candle is peace. The third candle is joy. And the fourth candle is love. Amen? And for some reason, love isn't staying lit. There we go. Tonight, we are lighting the Christ candle. And this is the Advent tradition as it's been handed down for some 1,700 years upon remembering the first Advent of Christ. And as Christians, this Advent candle that we light tonight is important because not only is it significant of the first coming or the first advent which is what the word advent means it means coming okay so when i say the first advent what i'm saying is the first coming of christ amen so when we light the christ candle we're remembering his first coming but we are looking forward with great expectation as believers to the second coming of christ amen amen so we're going to light the fifth candle which is the Christ candle and we're going to pray and we're going to thank the Lord Jesus himself for coming. Amen. Yeah. Heavenly Father we first thank you because you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son. And Lord as we celebrate your great gift to us Father we understand that it was more than just sending Christ here as a babe in a manger. It was so that he could be born as one under the law. That he could live a perfect holy life and die a substitutionary atoning death on the cross for us. Lord, that if we believe upon his sacrifice and his payment for our sin. If we look to him, the resurrected Christ, who rose three days later to justify us before your throne. Lord, and if we believe that, we can have eternal life. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son. And we thank you, Lord, that right now he is seated at your right hand. That he is reigning and ruling right now as King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that he has been given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, as we come tonight, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to this earth willingly sacrificing your life upon a cross. Lord, we thank you for fulfilling the law on our behalf, for dying in our place, for taking the punishment, the very wrath of Almighty God upon yourself, that we might be given grace and mercy, that we might be called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, because you who knew no sin became sin for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you rose victorious on the third day. Lord, that you conquered death, hell, and the grave, and that you ascended to the right hand of God Almighty, where you stand ready to judge the living and the dead at your second coming, at your second advent. So, Lord, as we light the Christ candle tonight, we remember you, Lord Jesus. 
and we look expectantly with great hope, with great peace, with great joy and great love, we look for your coming and your kingdom. Lord, we ask that you would have your will and have your way in this place tonight, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, well, if I don't fall down. <laughs> we're going to have a reading of God's word. Our call to worship tonight is found in Luke chapter 2. And if you could stand with me for the reading of God's word. We are going to read Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through verse 20. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass that as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go even now unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they came, uh, they, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. And then as it was told unto them, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we stand very grateful that we rejoice tonight at the remembrance of you sending your son into this world to save wretched sinners. Lord, tonight as Kyle comes to bring the message, Lord, I pray that you would anoint his lips and anoint our ears. God, that your word and your gospel would be declared, that the truth of your word would be declared that the incarnate Son of God would make alive all those who would believe. For your glory, for your honor, for our benefit, 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening and welcome to Agape Fellowship Church's Christmas Eve service. Um, and for those of you tuning in on Facebook, if there are any, we thank you for tuning in. And we do wish everybody a blessed holiday season and Merry Christmas. It's a joy to be gathered with you guys here this evening. And I, I love this time of year. And not just for the celebrations that the world partakes in, but because we get the distinct privilege as Christians of take it, taking a whole season from the end of November to the end of December to focus and to reflect upon one of the greatest doctrines in all of Christianity that is the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight, if you've got your Bibles, turn to John, the Gospel according to John in the first chapter. And uh, I, I chose John for a very distinct purpose. I could have preached a Christmas message from any of the Gospels, and probably more so. You know, usually when people think of a Christmas message or scriptures dealing with the Incarnation, they think of the Synoptic Gospels. You know, the first couple of chapters deal with uh, the announcement of Jesus coming to Mary and to Joseph and to the shepherds and uh, or the story about there being no room at the end, or just a whole host of texts that I could preach on. All of these other uh, texts tell the story of what happened, but I think we're going to find that John sheds some light on the deeper meaning of why we celebrate Christmas and why the celebration of the incarnation of Jesus Christ is not something that we just do from the last weekend in November to the last weekend in December, but why it is absolutely imperative for Christians from January to December, year in and year out, from the time that he came to the time that he comes again. I'll be... I'll begin at verse 1 in the Gospel according to John, and I will read to verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, 
that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake that he cometh after me, is preferred before me, because he was before me. And of his fullness all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, he who sets above the circle of the earth and rules over all things, Father, you see each and every one of us. Father, you work in each and every one of our lives in many different ways and we thank you for that father we thank you tonight as we come before you to reflect on the sending of your son into this world to deal with sin in the flesh and most of all lord to reveal your holy loving nature and character in a way that nothing else could have ever done. Father, we thank you for the law and the prophets. We thank you for the reality that they point to. But Father, we thank you for the greater reality that was, Je that was Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that tonight as I speak to your people, I pray that you would get me out of the way, Father. I pray, Father God, that your gospel would go forth and then it would fall on ears who are ready to receive it. And, Father, that you would make ears ready by your word and hearts ready by your spirit, that the gospel would be received and believed tonight for salvation. Father, we thank you for so great a salvation that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ, that as he ever stands at your right hand, sits at your right hand, Father, making intercession for us. Lord, we pray that you would put it in each of our hearts to cherish Jesus a little more. And as we celebrate this great event with our families and our friends, let us not lose sight of the true meaning of this, that God has wrapped himself in flesh and come among us. And Father, that if we only believe, so shall we ever be with you. We just ask for your benediction upon this service. In Jesus' name, amen.
As I said, I, I could have chose a number of passages. I was actually listening to some Christmas messages here throughout this week from people that I've listened to for a long time, and I think R.C. Sproul preached a Christmas message from Genesis 48. Uh, I think it was 48. One of those, and I was just like, wow, you know, I, not something that you would traditionally hear somebody preach on during Christmas. And John's kind of the same way. Most people tend to, as I said, focus on the synoptics because the synoptics do tell the story of the birth of Christ. They do tell the story of the announcements and the fulfillments of prophecy. Even when we get to the beginning, the beginning of the gospel according to Matthew, we'd see this long genealogy. And if you're anything like me, when you're doing your yearly Bible reading plan, sometimes you tend to skip over that genealogy because it's just really long and it's one of them passages that hardly any preachers want to preach on. Most Bible teachers don't want to teach on. And most Christians just get bogged down in. You get to genealogy in the Old or the New Testament, and you just kind of sit there and you go, uh, you know, let's get to something else. Yeah. Ask my kids if we read the genealogies. Do you guys read the genealogies? Yeah. Well, do we read who, who, who fathered who? Who fathered the next person? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and all of those things, tedious as they may be, are important to understand the gospel. All that was recorded was written for our instruction. But the reason that I chose to preach from the first chapter of John tonight is the nature of John's gospel. The other gospels focus on giving you historical facts of Jesus' life, ministry, and the details of his coming. The gospel of John focuses on the eternal matters. It focuses on the nature of Christ. Focuses upon the eternal matters within the gospel. But for the, for the foremost reason I chose to preach from this passage tonight, we can find in John, the end of John, we'll just turn over here to chapter 20. This was the reason that John wrote his gospel. He started it out with the prologue that we read, and then he kind of summarizes it at the end in chapter 20, verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing he might have life through his name. And that is the reason that I chose this passage. If for no other reason than that you, by hearing these words that are true and eternal life, that you might believe in him 
who eternal life came through. So in the beginning was the word. This, this word here in the Greek is logos. And it, it's kind of hard for us to get our idea, or get our minds around the idea of why John wrote it this way. And it had been uh, discussed by scholars, Old New Testament, Christian, Jewish, and even Muslim scholars about why this word was used. What does it mean? Well, to a Jewish audience, they would have understood this word of God that was with God. They had the concept of the Mimra. If you read the Old Testament and you hear uh, phrases like, the word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to this prophet. The word of the Lord came to that prophet. God created by his word. He spoke and things were. And they had this concept of the memory. And this, the, this prologue is designed to tell you that that word, that word that came to the prophets of the Old Testament, that word by which God created all things was the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. In this, the way this is set up, the way this passage is set up, it says, that the word was with God, and that preposition there where it says with denotes an intimate personal relationship between God and the word. But also, to go on further, it identifies the word as God. So we have God with God. And a lot of people stop right there and say, hold on, that doesn't make any sense. I thought we only got one God. How do you got God with God? Well, God has a son. And his son is God. That is the intention of John 1.1. This, if you have a, a study Bible or maybe, a, I think the NIV sometimes breaks them down this way. That where your Bible will have an A, a B, and a C next to the parts of the verse. The part of the verse in question here is John 1.1c. And this is a qualitative construction. It is set up, literally in the Greek it says, God was the word. It is identifying the nature of this logos. It is identifying the nature of the word. So it is not saying that in the beginning was the, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was the same God that he was with, but it's drawing a distinction here. But it's also making this qualification and saying that 
as to his nature, the Word was himself God. So we do have, quite literally, God with God. And this is from the beginning. This in the beginning is the same. If you were to read the Old Testament in the Greek language, this in the beginning here are the same words that begin Genesis 1-1. So let's just pretend for a moment that we already all have this knowledge that this passage is talking about Jesus. And I think that's fair to say that we do have this knowledge. That means that, that in the beginning, as far back as you want to put Genesis 1-1, into eternity, the word was there with God. The same was in the beginning with God. This, this verse here, uh, some, tra uh, some translations translate it. He was in the beginning with God. This is saying that the word, the same there means word, was with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and his life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. We'll go from the prologue of John to the prologue of Hebrews. And this will shed a little more light, further light, on why they call, why John identifies this one who was in the beginning with God as the Word. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Well, if I can get there, sorry. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake, in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. This identifies God's Son, as the final speaker, as the one to whom God has finally chosen to reveal himself. He's the brightness of his glory. We think back to John 1, 1, where it says, in him was life, and this life that was in Jesus was the light of man. talks about the witness of John. John the Baptist was the forerunner. He was the one that came before to prepare the way of the Lord. He came announcing his birth, saying, Repent, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was not that light, but he came to bear witness of that light. 
that with the true light, which lighteth every man that comes into the world, that light that Jesus gives off is a light that reveals the darkness in the earth. When light, when sin gets close to that light, sin is revealed. Amen. The people, people shrink back from that light. That's why people don't come to Christ. That's when people are living sinful and rebellious lives. That's why they don't come to church. That's why they don't read their Bible. That's why they don't pray. Because when they do, when they come close to God, a light is shown upon their sin. And it further reveals the need for the Savior. And just as a side note in this sermon tonight, though it is about the coming of Christ, I want to exhort you to never let that become your problem. Don't shrink back. Run to the light. Because you cannot deal with your sin problem until that light is shown up on it. And this is a light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Every man will reckon, will have to reckon with sin one way or another, even either, either in repentance and faith toward Jesus or he will stand before a holy God and give an account at the end of his life. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and, he did not and they did not receive him. This is the fundamental truth of the Christian faith. God came to us. It says he came to his own. And some will say that that was talking about the Jews. He came to the Jews. But I suggest that it is talking about human beings. He came to his own. He became a human being. And he, became, he came to his own. And they did not receive him. But it doesn't leave us without hope in this passage. Because it wasn't that all didn't receive him. Because it says there are some that were. But as many to him, but as many as received him, to, he, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. And I want to point out that that is not talking about you just can't go to heaven if you don't, if you're not born again. That means you will not even see the glorious truth of the gospel. Unless you were born again. If you can see this truth, rejoice because it is God who has put this in you. Not by the will of flesh, not by the will of man, but of God. You have been born again unto a living hope. And now you see the kingdom of God as it is revealed through Jesus Christ. 
This is the crux of this passage. John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word was made flesh. I had a guy ask me earlier, um, who he's not he's not a Christian, doesn't believe in um, the incarnation. He um, he he claims to be a Christian, but he doesn't believe in the incarnation. He doesn't believe in what this text says. And he said, "I'll, I'll give you I'll give anybody." $100 that can show me the phrase God became man in, a, in the Bible. God didn't become man. That's not what the Bible says. You won't find it. And I said, sir, I think we do. He said, no, I don't, I don't think we do. And I said, are you familiar with John 1? And he said, yes, I know John 1. And I said, okay. 1-1 one, one says, and he quoted it, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I said, okay, so you agree that that says that the Word was God, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, do you know John 1-14? Oh, yes, the Word was made flesh. And I was like, I was just sat there waiting for it, and he says, well, that doesn't say that God was made flesh. That says the Word made flesh. And I said, but we, I said, but we talked about this. The Word was God. Amen. And he said, yeah, but God didn't become flesh. The Word became flesh. Friends, <laughs> it's right there. And this truth is marvelous. No other world religion has this truth. Amen. There is no idea of God becoming a man in any religion except for Christianity. This is the central truth to the Christian faith. This is the most foundational truth and if you don't have this truth you don't have the Christian faith and you don't have the gospel. This is the truth. That word this is where we get that word incarnation. I titled my message tonight Hail the incarnate deity. The, it, it's a line taken from the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Colossians chapter 2 and 9 says, For all the fullness of God resides in Christ bodily. All the fullness of God. That is where that song takes its line from. Veiled in flesh. The Godhead see. The, the fullness of God wrapped himself in human flesh. And came to this world to live a perfect life. That he might die an atoning death on our behalf. So without this doctrine of the incarnation... Without John 1, 1, we cannot have John 3, 16. We cannot have, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. 
without John 1 1, we don't have the Christian faith. This is where we get the word incarnation. Incarnation literally means to in flesh, to put on flesh, to make flesh. Yes, uh, the carne in there is a, it's a Latin word for meat or flesh. When you, eat, when you eat the meat of an animal, you're eating its flesh. And as Christians... When we believe upon Jesus Christ, what does he say? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Yeah. We talked about that last, yeah. last Sunday in John 6. That, that's what this word means. Incarnation. God became a man. Hebrews said that he was born under the law that he might redeem those who are under the law. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. To take this into this verse and compare it with verse 17. It says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It was not that God did not offer grace to his people under the law. He absolutely did. If he did not, Israel would have been destroyed time and time again. So there was grace under the law of Moses. But the final revelation of the grace of God came in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. Not only did it come in him, but it says... The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is, he is the embodiment of both grace and truth himself. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake that comes before me, is preferred before me. For he was before me. John told or Jesus told the unbelieving Pharisees in John chapter 8 that they said unto him, they said, you're not but 50 years old because he had told them, you know, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. And they said, you're not even 50 years old. What do you mean Abraham saw my day? Right. And he said, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And now John, the cousin of Jesus, the forerunner that was prophesied in the Old Testament that would come and make straight the way of the Lord and declare his coming, is saying, he that cometh after me is preferred before me because he was before me. So we could say is preferred before me, but that just doesn't do the justice that going all the way and saying he was before me. He's preferred before me because Christ is preeminent. He is before all things. He is greater than all things being the son of God himself. But he existed 
before John. And so you're thinking, well, he, when we read in the context of this, this makes sense. Because John wasn't there in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. The word who this passage is revealing is Jesus Christ. Amen. People, uh, a lot of cults, the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons have a lot of problems with this text because they either they deny the eternality of Jesus or they deny the divinity of Jesus and it causes a lot of problems. As a matter of fact, if you ever get a Jehovah's Witness to knock on your door, I want you to be ready with John 1 and 1 because they will press you on that. They will say, oh no, it says that he is a God. He was with God. How can God be with God? If God's with God, you got more than one God. And that's violating the Old Testament principle of monotheism. If you've got God with God, you have more than one God. And they will press you on that. And they will take this very passage and they will twist it and they will distort the truth of the gospel until you have lost all hope. Be ready with this passage. Be familiar with this passage. D meditate upon this passage because it is chalked full of gospel truth. Yes. I was reading a Facebook post, and I can't remember exactly how it went, but it involved some young kids, and they were sitting in church, and one of them said, thank you, thank you God for dying on the cross for our sins. And the, young, and the older brother looked over and said, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And their other brother looked and said, Jesus is God. And that's the point of this. That's the point of this. Yes, Jesus died for our sins on the cross. Jesus was a flesh and blood man. Just like you see me standing here, they saw him standing there. The, John says, we have handled him. He had flesh that you could touch. If you cut him, he bled. Obviously, on the cross, he bled. He was a flesh and blood human being. But even as flesh and blood human being, he was the creator that created all other human life. And that is integral to the gospel. And it is absolutely unique to Orthodox Christianity. And of his fullness, have all we received grace for grace or some 
translations render grace upon grace. We have, and of his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. He is full of grace. And that grace that inherited within him, he gives freely to those that repent and put their faith in him. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And this is the wrap the wrapping up of this passage here in, in 1 verse 18. They book in this by they start in verse 1 and identify him as God and then they wrap this up and they say in verse 18 no man has seen God at any time the only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father he hath declared him no man has seen God at any time we read that and that sounds strange to us because we just got done talking about how Jesus Christ was God, and he was a flesh and blood man. So people have seen God. But no man has seen God the Father at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared him. And we say, well, wait a minute. Because a lot of people have wrong-headed ideas about Jesus and his existence because we think okay we've got God the Father in the Old Testament and then Jesus in the New Testament but what this passage is saying is any time that anybody has ever seen God they saw Jesus who appeared in the burning bush when the law was given to Moses Jesus who wrestled with Jacob and drove with him all night long? It was Jesus. No man has seen God the Father ever. So anytime God has ever been seen, as in the Old Testament we're told that he is, it was Jesus. And this is what John means when he says, He was before me. Jesus Christ is true and eternal God. And he came in the flesh to redeem those of the flesh he hath declared them I quoted earlier from Hebrews chapter 1 where he is the final prophet it says that he has, it says here that he has declared them he has made him known he is the fullness of God in human flesh. He has everything that we need to know about God can be found in the person of Jesus Christ and in his gospel. He has for all time revealed to man the character and the nature of God. We've seen at times in scripture, we've seen the wrath when he got mad at the money changers in the temple and he drove them out. 
He was angry. He displayed the perfect wrath of God upon sin and wickedness. We've seen his grace and stories such as the woman caught in adultery. He is the full revelation of God. And he hath declared it since the beginning of time. This is the fundamental truth of the Christian faith. That God left the glories of heaven and wrapped himself in human flesh and became for us a living sacrifice. He left everything. He was worshipped by angels and he left that to come to earth and be spit upon by men. He left the glories of heaven for the sufferings of this earth. As I said, he was a real flesh and blood man. Hebrew says that we have not a high priest who is not touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus knew what it was like to get tired. Jesus knew what it was like to be weak. Even with being the perfect son of God who never sinned, sinned at all. Jesus knew what it was like for the Father to ask of him hard things that seemed too hard for him to do. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he sweat drops of blood. And he said, Oh, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink this cup. I don't want this condemnation. Because that what was in that cup. It was the condemnation for our sin. And Jesus, nevertheless, as fearful as he was, he drank it down and swallowed the full wrath of God for our sin. It can't be overstated. As we prepare to celebrate the incarnation, let's keep this truth in mind all year long. This is the beginning of our celebration. As the church moves throughout the church calendar, we go from Advent and we'll come into here in about three months into Holy Week and into Good Friday and the resurrection, which is the glorious truth of Christianity. But without the incarnation, without God becoming man, there is no death, there is no atonement, there is no resurrection. Or salvation. So I just want to encourage you guys to um, keep, keep your minds focused upon this truth throughout the year. Take this out and share it with the world. This is the truth that the world needs to hear right now. We don't need to be bogged down in all the other trappings of the way the world celebrates Christmas and the way that the world thinks about Christmas. As Christians, we should think about Christmas in this way. God became man to redeem me from my sin. I do pray that each of you as you go this evening, would be blessed 
that you would leave here with the assurance that from the fullness of Christ, you have received grace upon grace if you have repented and put your trust in Christ for your salvation. I pray that it is a blessed holiday, and I pray that you guys will join us Sunday morning at 1030. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for this timeless truth that your Son took for us all the sufferings of this human life. And Father, though we go through these sufferings, Father, we have a great high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, who knows, and Lord ever sits at your right hand making intercession for us. Father, and as long as we have his intercession, this is our surety that we have peace with God. Father, I pray that your hope, your joy, your love, and your peace would go with your people, would encapsulate them wherever they go. Lord, that it would surround them in their dealings with their friends and this family and family during this holiday season. Father God, I just pray that the truth of your gospel would go far and wide. Father, equip us and strengthen us to carry this gospel to the nations, knowing that Christ will have the price for which he died. The nations of his inheritance. Father God, we just ask that you would bless each one here with us tonight and those that couldn't be. Keep us safe as we go forth and bring us safely back together on the Lord's Day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.